Right. Yeah. I'm so glad you're here. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> you got it. Uh, Nitya is extremely cool person. Thank you. Involved in many different things. Mm. Master Chinese astrologer, uh, feng shui consultant, uh, leads mindfulness yoga classes mm -hmm. and camps for children. Mm -hmm. Probably a bunch of other things. I know a cookbook and a coloring book that you've made. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Thank you. So I like to is to start by asking this question. Mm -hmm. What matters to you? Ooh, what matters? Um, that I feel good. Mm. You know, and that's of course, multi-layered, you know, feel good is, I think, Santosha, you know, that's the ultimate for me to feel at any given moment in the day that I'm content. I'm in the now, I'm aware of my now moment, everything's, everything's okay. What are the obstacles toward feeling contentment? Clutter. Hmm. Which is chaos, um... It can be, um, you know, suddenly something happens in the day that starts to take you down or tries to take you down. It could be a situation, a relationship. It could be an unruly <laughs> class of kids that just are like yesterday, you know, rain day and kids don't get to go out to outside at all. And so they're just they're just so full of energy. They just can't sit still. And that's that can be a challenge. So any practices? <clears throat> that are helpful for you when you experience a challenge? Yeah, you know, I I feel like one of the best things that we can learn to do is slow down. Uh, I, I teach kids to use the stop sign. And for myself, I use an internal one because <laughs> grownups can't walk around going, <laughs> stop sign, I need a minute. <laughs> be really kind of weird. So I have like an internal stop sign. It's like, whoa, let's slow down a minute. What's really going on? You know, sometimes if I'm really upset, I need to walk away. Um, sometimes I need to call a friend and say, I need to bend an ear. Um, tune into the breath. Tune into nature. If you can look out a window. Um, and also recognize everything's a mirror, which is really hard. Because um, if I recognize, like, for instance, that crazy classroom, I have to think, is there a part of me that's, that's feeling bottled up energy? So let's find a way for me to channel what the kids are feeling so that we can all find that, that outlet together. So we'll do a whole bunch of frog hopping and exhaust them. And then we can get to a place where we can go into child's pose, take 10 slow breaths, and I've got them. Hmm. And it's kind of cool. So when you say everything's a mirror, mm -hmm. is that sort of like, uh, you know, putting yourself in someone else's shoes? Or if you see something that's happening, um, you see that I can relate to, mm -hmm. to that somehow. If I look inside, find that part of me that mm -hmm. can relate to what I'm seeing. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's recognizing that everything that we're experiencing is a reflection of ourselves. So from, and you know, it, that's an easy thing to say if you're looking at something that's lovely, that's something that's enjoyable, 
It's the worst is when you're in a relationship with somebody and you realize that you have been projecting your own self onto them and um, and seeing them through that projection. We do that all the time in relationships, right? And then they start to show them their true self and you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> it's not how I projected myself onto you to be. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think relationships get tangled up because there's so much of what you're projecting on to them. And that's, and that's hard to, to, to own up to and say, oh my gosh, I'm really sorry, I've been projecting. I haven't been recognizing you for you, just you yourself. And is that kind of just creating this this model of maybe an ideal person that you sure that you want to be with, yeah, rather than just dealing with reality? Sure, I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. is the goal then to be objective? Yeah, I think the goal is to um, maybe, I guess, in my the way that I would phrase it would be, um, let go of your own story. You know, um, yeah, let go of your own story. And and in letting go of your own story, you open the way to hear someone else's narrative. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the yoga practices are about, too, right? Mm-hmm. Let, letting go of your own story, quieting mm-hmm. the mind, and then what comes in, then naturally you don't even need to, to try for it. Answers exactly. just come. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's almost like it's that moment in between the inhale and the exhale, right? Mm. And you can feel it. You totally can feel that. And does it take practice, too? So the more that you're aware of that that moment of stillness or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call that piece, Mm -hmm. that maybe it's uncomfortable for a while because, as you said, we've been moving at such a speed that we're not even aware that that is available for us or happening. Yeah. But as I experience it and become more aware of it, does it get easier to go to that place again and again? I think so. And I think it's like, it is, it's a training. You're training the mind. So how do you train your mind? It's got to be a practice. That's why we call it a practice. We got to come back to it over and over and over like fishing or like playing a yo-yo. It's just got to, it's sharpening. And so with children, mm. how are they different in terms of um, their experience with yoga, would you say, compared to an adult? Oh, wow. Um, I love children's classes. I always say that grown-ups are really, their energy is much heavier and they're really serious. Um, the grumpy face. You come into a classroom of, you know, adults, you know, it's all this tension in their face and they've had their day and I'm on my mat and I'm ready to do my yoga. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And you go into a room full of kids and they're all like, yay, Miss Nitya's here. Yay, we're going to have such a great time. And it's like, ah. So it's a totally different experience. So when I go into my adult classes, I bring the kid with me and I make them laugh. I'm going to make you laugh. I will make these people laugh. <laughs> it's like one of my goals in my class. And, you know, put them into something like, you know, where we bring both legs out 
right? You bring both legs out, so you're balancing on your bottom. And what happens? You fall backwards, and it works every time. They laugh. And I'm like, yeah, get into that, get into that part of you. But with children, they are so malleable, and they're such, I mean, you can have some really existential conversations with four- and five-year-olds. It's profound. Yeah. Really cool. Like, um, I was asking uh, the first graders at the school where I have a mindfulness yoga program, what, what is meditation? And this little girl, Anna Kate, was like, she's one of these very grown-up little girls, and she was like, meditation is that place in between all feelings and no feelings. All the thoughts and no thoughts. And I just looked at her and I was like, so you're not really thinking or feeling anything. Exactly, she says. And all of a sudden, I literally in that moment, this was just Tuesday. I thought in that moment, she's my teacher. I just learned something. I'd never thought of meditation that way before. It was profound. These kids blow my mind. And did you get the impression, too, that she loved that place? Yeah. She was like, come on, bring it. Ring the bell. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> like, the kids come in. I ring the bell. They come into their sitting posture, and I instruct them to breathe into their hands and to feel what they're feeling. I reassure them that all of our feelings are perfectly normal. We just want to let go of the ones that are heavy and don't feel good so that we can be in the now moment and we can be our own superhero that slays the dragon of these feelings that can make us say things and do things that can hurt ourselves or other people, hmm. like anger, or frustration, or whatever. So having you know this kind of practice in school mm-hmm. for a child, like I think, gosh, what would that have been like for me? Because and I think <laughs> yeah. for most of us, we yeah. we didn't have that. Oh yeah. So. Do you have uh, like your finger on the pulse of what's happening now in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, education and, and yoga in no. the country, in the world? No. No. But I, I will say this. I have senior students who are now teenagers that grew up with me. Like one little girl who was in my first toddler class is now 14. So I have been with her for 12 years. Mm-hmm. So, but one of my students said to me, um, and I give them their yoga name at a certain point. Her name's now Vicarini. And I said to her, um, we were, I do a monthly teen workshop with my senior students. And I was asking her um, or asking the group, I, you know, how do you guys handle your stress and, um, and anxiety in high school? And she was like, Snitya. She goes, I don't even have to think about it. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, it's automatic. That's what would happen if you grew up with yoga from that early age. You, the tools of breathing, of stilling yourself, of becoming mindful, slowing down, become automatic. So she was saying, if I'm in a relationship with a friend or a guy or anything that starts to become toxic, I know what to do. I breathe, I get centered. I slow down, and a lot of times I just let these people go. They don't need an explanation from me. She goes, it's all from my heart. 
I don't need to tell you anything. I was just blown away. I mean, she's, it's not that her high school experience is, is stress-free and easy. It has all of its challenges. She just knows how to deal with it. So it, it blew my mind. Just like, what do you mean? She goes, I don't have to do, she doesn't have to do the pranayama. She doesn't have to do the meditation. What happens when your entire practice becomes so internalized that it's an automatic response to the triggers in our life? That's the mind-blowing emoji, right? Right. (laughs) And because it seems so natural to me that even for a child introducing these things, they automatically will gravitate. Oh, yes. Why wouldn't I accept myself? Why wouldn't I accept my humanness and everything that's happening? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, why should I care so much about what other people think? This is this is just me. I'm mm-hmm. behaving how I was made. Mm-hmm. At some point, it seems like that becomes an uncommon uh, place to be in, you know, for many, many adults. So mm-hmm. what happens there that we come from this place of kind of accepting ourselves as children and and even when you're talking about the difference between the adult classes and the children's classes, mm-hmm. like the children aren't judging everything, right? No. The way that the uh, adults are, and they mm-hmm. don't have that that heaviness right. there. So, what's your feeling of, of how does that heaviness start? All the the kind of the addiction to the mm-hmm. the judging, my opinion, how I'm seen. Uh, I think a lot of people. it is you know conditioning, you know how you how you were raised. Um, the people that judged you as you were raised were critical of you, teachers, your parents, siblings. Um, and we didn't have tools. So I, I refer to it as the kid's yoga toolbox. And um, and in that yoga toolbox are all the breathing practices and meditation and journaling. And my my teenagers will jokingly just like throw those three words out, mm. you know, If I ask them, you know, how do you get back to peace and calm? Breathing, journaling, meditation. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're words. I get it. But you've got to do it. You've got to actually do the practice. So, you know, I think think by the time, if we haven't grown up with these tools, by the time we become adults, we've we begin to tell ourselves a story over and over and over and over. We look for relationships and situations that will reinforce that story, whether it's an awful one or a lovely one or somewhere in between. And then somewhere we get tired maybe of that story and we realize that we can change the chapter. We can write a new chapter. You can even close the book and just start completely fresh, right? But, you know, I think it takes a brave person to get to that point of realization to say, why have I been living my life like this? Why have I allowed myself to be like this? Mm-hmm. Right. Because then there could be a feeling of regret, too. Like, oh, man, I spent all this time sure. being in this other place. I, I've wasted the time. But we don't necessarily have to see it that no, way. No, I mean, you can have 20 crappy years and then follow it with one mindfully manifested awesome one that could just be enough to like erase all that mm. enough to make it worth it right mm. and that's our tapas right that's the fire that we all walk walk through <clears throat> is an obstacle too 
believing that it can be better than it is or being aware that, wow, it can always be better. Yeah. But, you know, I think that notion that it can always be better is such motivation. Mm. It's the forever carrot dangling in front of your nose. Just close enough to keep you going, right? Mm. And sometimes you get angry at the carrot. Come on. Come on. I've been working so hard. Give me the carrot. Yeah, maybe it's this relationship with growth to mm. to love to grow. Mm. And do you see that also in children that it's it's very natural for them to spend their time um seeking growth? Sure. Cuz they're little saplings. That's all they do is grow. Their their minds are just they're incredible sponges. Um and I feel like Nobody's watching me when I'm with these kids. You know, the the teacher is off to the side, you know, on their computer and they're doing work. And and I have this this time with them where I can create these conversations that sometimes take up 15 minutes of the class where I'm blown away with their their rapt attention with five, six, seven-year-olds to want to talk about these feelings that they're feeling. And, you know, like this, we were talking about anxiety yesterday in a kindergarten class. And this little girl was saying that she had heard her parents talking about them moving into another state. And she came up to me and she said, Miss Nitya, I feel sad today. And I said, oh, no, why why are you sad? And she said, I heard my parents saying that we're moving away. The teacher says, I have not heard this. And I'm like, "Okay." So I said, you're this is perfect. Let's sit down and talk. And I said, so. Are you feeling, what are you feeling? She said, I'm scared. And I said, that's part of being anxious is that we're scared of what could happen. What could happen? But is it actually happening? No. And I said, you know, sometimes we hear grownups talking, but are they talking to us? And the kids are like, no. And then, of course, I get the litany of kids suddenly sharing what they're overhearing their parents talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Parents should really edit themselves these kids are so listening and they're they're and I told them I said you know your parents aren't talking to you so what they're saying is between them don't listen to them it's not for you and um and I told her I said if your parents are talking about something sweetie I said if that's actually going to happen they're going to talk to you about it I said so right now what are we doing we're in yoga class so we just come back to the now moment. Everything's great. <laughs> I love too what you said about you know seeing the children as your teacher mm-hmm. because it, it flips around the the relationship because I think naturally you know children look to to mimic adults mm-hmm. in, in every way and it makes sense too. Okay, here's this person that you know when they're when they're baby you you look at an adult and you admire all their skills. Oh, they can walk around and they can use all these tools and look at look at everything that they're doing. I I want to be able to do all of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe children don't realize that um, there's something for adults to admire in you as well and learn from you. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that the kids appreciate, I think I would like to think that they appreciate from me is that I'm listening. I'm an adult that actually is compassionately, genuinely listening to what they want to say to me. 
And not only that, I want to have a conversation with them about it. So it gives them this outlet for saying, you know, for a child to come into the classroom and come up to me and and reveal, I'm feeling sad today. I had another kid that was sad and crying about something that had happened. And I and I said to the whole class, and I was had my hand on his back, and I said, friends, please stop. We have someone here that's sad. And I said, we need to feel sad for him. So let's all take some deep, slow breaths and see if we can feel the sad for our friend and help him let it go so that we can all be in the now moment and know that everything's okay. That reassurance, you know, and parent and adults need to hear that, that, that everything is okay. You know, and I was saying in one of my adult classes this week that we tell children all the time these reassurances, but we do, don't do it for ourselves. And I said, please turn off the news and don't look at social media and tune into to yourself and what is good and what is happening that, it, that, is, that is right and, and let that grow. Everything is okay. Even if on the outside, it looks like a hot mess. It's really okay. Right. And is the shift there from going to the place um, where I believe that if I just focus on myself and what I control and being the change and what I would like to see the whole Mm. world do, that that's enough? Yes. Because often, you know, it could feel like, what does it matter? I'm just one person. Right. If I change myself, it's not going to change anything else. Yeah. that I think is an exhausting mentality. Mm. And so even though, okay, I can't change the whole world and what mm. everyone else is doing, yeah. it's much more rewarding if I'm focusing on that, which I can control and mm. being the change. And, and if you feel, well, there's so much negativity out there and complaining and all of this, and I'm watching the news all the time and I'm being a part of all of that. Well, in a way then I'm the problem. Well, what I always say is, what do they call news? news stories they're a story how do we know it's real how do we know any of it's real right so instead of looking at these narratives that are being fed to us why not create and focus on your own best story Mm. right and i i mean i that's my goal i wake up in the morning and i'm like Let's go do something. Let's go inspire some kids. Let's go wake up some grown-ups. Let's go make sure that the environment is clean. What can I do in my own backyard? What can I do with um, my influence in my community? I mean, it doesn't take that much. It really doesn't take that much. And the more that you begin to focus on what you can do that is good, it has a ripple effect. Uh, you you inspire your friends. You inspire somebody in the community. It has a ripple effect. The more that if everybody started to live that way, I have no doubt there would be a massive paradigm shift. Everybody would be focused on making sure that their day, they were doing good, being good, living good. Mm-hmm. It's so simple. I tell people all the time, that's all we're ever asked to do whether it's a child or an adult or a teenager, do good, be good, live good. 
And if you mess up, self-compassion, learn from it. Yeah, but aren't there so many just seems like scarred people out there? Mm-hmm. Maybe most of us, you know, mm-hmm. we have this trauma and we, in the, I think perhaps the most common way to deal with it, right, is just to avoid it. Because mm-hmm. I, all of this, mm-hmm. looking outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. is that just a method of, of avoidance? Because I don't want to observe my own being and my own house and my own thoughts and all of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've maybe already even labeled myself mm-hmm. as not being good. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm just going to stick that label on myself and I'm just going to keep running until the clock runs out. Right. Yeah. But it, I, it feels unnatural to me, you know, when we consider children, because right. no child is not interested in uh, what's happening inside themselves or, mm-hmm. you know, just avoiding growth. Right. They all want to do it. Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting because I was watching this dad walking down the street with his little girl and she was pointing to something on the ground, which for him being, I was guessing, about six feet tall is far away. She's not even two feet tall, so the ground is right there. Mm. And I thought to myself in that moment, everything for her is right there. Everything. For us, it's almost like the taller we get, the older we get, the more far away we get from that awareness. Isn't that interesting? And and maybe it all comes full circle because as you get older and you become elderly, you're looking at the ground at the, as the enemy because you could fall to it. And mm. suddenly you become more aware again of the ground and you become more aware of yourself because you're, you're in your end time maybe, right? So maybe it comes all full circle. I think that there's, there's definitely something, something to that. Mm. And, uh, you know, does thinking deeply, you know, maybe exploring the truth in a Mm -hmm. way, has it, does it have the stigma that's associated with it now as, as being something negative in our culture? Like, oh, he's deep or they want to talk about that thing again. But Mm -hmm. again, with the children, I think they're all interested in investigating what is true and real. Like what is more interesting than that? Than looking into reality and asking deep questions so even maybe can we shift the the cultural perception of having meaningful com- conversations and making it more socially acceptable uh to do that as opposed to just interacting with each other on a very surface level right i mean i know a lot of my friends it's like we kind of have a um i don't know a motto so to speak that we're done with with those shallow conversations. We don't want to be around people who don't want to go deep, that don't want to have real meaningful conversations like this, mm. where we really just and and go and I don't know why it is going deep. Why is that such a terrifying thing? Because it requires you to be authentic, mm. Mm. and it calls you on your stout on your stuff. And that's, 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 that's the grist, right? I mean, you know, who are you? 
Does anybody really want to answer that question? You just want to go to your job, come home, <laughs> eat crappy food, watch crappy TV and go to bed and get up and do the same thing over and over and wake up and you're old. I mean, that's terrifying to me. <laughs> it seems like it's the greatest travesty that there is because if we can really zoom out and look at what's happening, I think we all have this incredible opportunity and that even feels objective. Yeah. Right. To be, we're existing on this planet, mm -hmm. moving about and it's pretty awesome. Um, do I just want to distract myself the whole time? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and, and distraction takes you, takes you out of your body, out of your mind, out of your spirit, out of your heart. Um, you're just floating on the surface, but you're not really there. Hmm. Yet you, th you think that you are. Everything seems very real. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what's your experience with kind of dividing, um, dividing kind of friends and enemies, this polarization that tends to happen? Hmm. I think that that's common between, okay, I like these people and I don't like those people and, uh, do you even think that there's, you know, such a thing as someone being your enemy um, and that we have to choose sides? Um, that's a good question. I think, um, I mean, I wrestle with that, I think, as much as anybody in, in some realms. But um, I also catch myself thinking that... And I catch myself sometimes feeling sorry for them and lab labeling them as ignorant or not knowing or not aware. And then I'm like, you know, we all have our reality. Their reality says that they believe X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z is working great for them. Great. Were they happy? Awesome. Is it negatively impacting my life and the environment? Yeah. So what do I do? You just backtrack and, again, focus on what is working. Focus on doing the best that I can. You know, why direct attention and energy towards that which is not working and that which is not in alignment with who you are? Hmm. And even, I think the question is, when someone is doing something that, that we don't like or we don't agree with, you know, how do we handle that? You know, seems that force and violence is mm. is a very common re reaction mm -hmm. to that. My question is, is it effective even to do that? What about compassion, love, understanding, listening? Mm. Like, do we really think that those are less effective than trying to force someone to your way, ways? And is trying to force someone and use, you know, physical might, mm -hmm. is that the lazy way out perhaps? Well, the way I tell kids is um, in the moment of being confronted with somebody that's maybe yelling at you or um, is being harmful in any way. Um, you know, obviously not like where your life is in danger, but you know, somebody's just being not nice. Um, that the most powerful response is non-action and silence and walking away. And I tell kids that is real power. That's real power. And then if somebody really has been 
Like if the way that they're they're harming is bad enough, you always go to a safe adult that you can talk to about it. Mm. Um, and and that's true for adults as well. You know, I feel like you know, in this world of social media, our first reaction is to an immediately, you know, tweet or Instagram or whatever, a response. I've so stopped all of that. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the point? I'm like, I can think my thought. I can scream my thought. Or I can just walk away quietly. Do the best that I can. Focus on the positive, you know, and, you know, yeah, um, I, I don't want to give so much energy to what isn't working anymore. Mm. I want to look at what is working. Mm. Would you call that almost, you know, positively reinforcing yourself? Yeah, like or behavior? delusion. <laughs> I don't know. An idealist way of living my life. Just, you know, put on my rose colored heart glasses and my unicorn hat. And, you know, no. I I mean, there's. Yeah. Um, I I think I've, I've started internally praying a lot more than I ever have. You know, so if I see somebody, you know, driving down my street going, obviously not 25 miles an hour, and I feel that that rage of irritation rise up, I like pull it down and say a prayer for them. I'm really sorry that you are so not aware of me walking my dog down the street on this beautiful day. I hope that somewhere in his day, He is able to slow down and appreciate his life. It is so beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And is it a practice also to do that and also to find silence? I mean, there are politicians that I think about, oh, I really hope there is a day where you have this beautiful epiphany and wake up and find your heart. Oh, I pray that for you. Why not? It's yeah. a heck of a lot better than throwing mud at somebody. And um, and it's hard, you know, when there's so much toxic energy around the news and stuff. And everywhere you go, that's all people want to talk about. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to talk about that. What's happening in your life? Yeah. What's working for you? Hmm. Okay, so I wanted to ask you also about feng shui. And yes. I know you're leading a workshop coming up called the Feng Shui of Yoga. Mm-hmm. At the end of um, February. So can you explain what, what that is? So um, much of what we've already been talking about is Feng Shui. Um, and when you take what we've been talking about and layer it into your house. So when you walk into your home, it should feel like a sanctuary. It's your refuge from the world, right? It's your cave. There's no man cave. There's no she shed. It's all one big happy (laughs) sanctuary. (laughs) Everybody's got their own little parceled out space. It's like 
let's see if we couldn't just create one harmonious home. Um, so yeah, so feng shui is um, the, the way that I practice it as with a traditional, um, the traditional style using a compass where you're standing with your back to the front door and you're looking out into your yard and you get the compass degree of how that the house is facing. And then with that orientation, you place what's called a bagua over the floor plan of your house. And then I can see all the quadrants of the different directions and what what directions are in each of the rooms. Most of the time people contact me because there is some aspect of their life that is not working, like we were saying a while ago, um, and they're tired of that narrative. They've like been spinning wheels. Mm -hmm. Something is not working. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's money. A lot of times it's money. We all want more money. Um, sometimes it's that their career feels stuck. Sometimes it's something health related. Um, so I've had some amazing healing experiences with people in their homes, everything from curing cancer. That was one of my most profound. He's still in remission. Um, and I think they've been with me for like 16 years, 15 years. Um, and it's going room by room through your house and making sure that everything in there is in harmony with the elements that are at play and that you feel ease, that you feel at peace, that there's nothing that's, oh, there's that picture that reminds me of that horrible event, you know, at that family reunion, whatever, you know, or there's that sofa that I got with my husband. Oh my God, that worst divorce ever, you know? It's like we, we, we forget sometimes what we've filled our house with, just like we forget sometimes what we've filled our mind with, mm. or we forget sometimes what we filled our heart with. So your home is a, a reflection of you. That junk room is, is horrible. What part of your life or your physical body have you congested by having a junk room? Every room should have a purpose, right? And sometimes that's what my role is, is going through a house and saying, these rooms don't have the correct purpose. You're using your dining room as an office. Let's make it an office. But I want my dining room. Well, your dining room obviously needs to be somewhere else. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to repurpose rooms. It also seems like this might be the area where like uh, practicality meets um, optimal desire. I guess, mm -hmm. uh, like, well, I don't really want to have this here, but I need to use it for something or mm -hmm. I want to replace this couch, but I don't have the money to do it. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. And and you can do so much with fabric. You can um, you can reupholster a sofa by putting fabric over it and using upholstery tacks. I've done that before. Um, there are ways to rearrange a home using very little money that will refresh the energy so that it flows. So when you look at, all right, well, how does feng, how do feng shui and yoga really like find that meeting place? Um, it goes back to what did your parents used to always bug you about? Clean up your room, right? Mm -hmm. 
So some of us really never learned that. Some of us really feel like when we walk in our house, we can just throw stuff everywhere. The dishes are piled in the sink. Um, you know, clothes are spilling out all over the place. And we wonder why there's so much anxiety and stress, dis-ease. And um, ultimately, what feng shui is trying to achieve and what yoga is trying to achieve is santosha which is contentment in the now moment, if you boil it all down. And I, I always preface my knowledge of the branches and limbs of yoga are taught to children all the time. So the way that a Swami would like explain the branches and limbs of yoga, I'm sure are greatly different <laughs> from how I kind of boil it down to something very basic and applicable to life. But that's how I see Santosha. I'm, we're trying to just achieve comfort within the discomfort of life, right? Mm. Um, every from the moment we wake up, what are we trying to do? Feel comfortable. So we choose specific clothes to wear. We choose certain soaps to put on our skin when we take a shower, right? We, um, we choose certain foods because they're comforting, right? We, we get a certain car because it makes us feel comfortable when we're sitting in the seat. Our whole day, you know, you watch people in an audience, they're constantly moving. What are they doing? Trying to find comfort within the discomfort. And that's what we're doing in our house. But sometimes people get to a point where they're so lost within themselves, within their home, that it gets so congested that you can literally start to feel congested and you're starting to get sick. If your home isn't healthy, you aren't healthy. Some aspect of you isn't healthy. Some aspect of your life is going to be falling apart. I've seen it time and time again. If I come in and we rearrange things and we find a flow and we find a balance, we achieve some level of that experience of contentment where you can sit in your home and feel at ease, then my job's done. And that's, you know, what I feel like I have had success doing is bringing people to that place. And it's not like I hand it to them, just like somebody on the yoga mat as a teacher, you can't give them that experience. You're only showing them the way there. And I think sometimes what surprises a client or a student is that that arrival they realized who did that. I didn't do it. They did it. Mm. Okay. So I, you know, I'll give a client, you know, a huge report that goes room by room, telling them what's in the room, what needs to change. I even go shopping for them, right? I'll go online and give them all the links. This is the kind of sofa I'm looking at. This is the kind of, you know, kitchen or paint color or whatever. It's up to them to do it. And what I love is having clients respond right after I've given them that the report where they're so excited and they're telling me, I've done this and this and this and this and I'm getting it done. And they're checking off all the things that I've highlighted and they're starting to see the change. Who did that? They did it. I just gave them the tools and you know, it's, it's that, you know, you get, get the tools 
you give yourself permission, you can go. So it's it's pretty cool. That whole process is pretty amazing. Mm. And I've gone into some beautiful houses where all the colors are wrong. All the materials are wrong. So even though the house looks great, something's not working. And it can drive a person nuts because it's like, I don't understand. Everything looks nice. I love all my furniture, but something's not right. And it's like... um, it's because you've got your house flipped. I've seen this happen where, you know, the western side of the house, west, northwest, you've got all this green and wood. What happens with wood and metal? They cut each other down. That's a conflict. So you've got conflicted energy radiating all over the place. So, of course, it doesn't feel right. How do we change it? Well, instead of having green walls, let's paint them a really soft gray. <laughs> and that's in harmony. And instead of having, you know, a red couch, which is fire and metal, that's even worse. It's even more violent, right? Um, we can cover it over with black fabric and make it harmonious. And when you do these shifts and changes, you can totally feel the change. I'm actually going to... Uh, follow-up visit with a client next week and i'm really looking forward to seeing what she's done Mm. it's kind of like the teacher coming back have you done your homework you cleaned up your house you cleaned up your room mama's coming (laughs) Mm. reminds me too of of what you shared um with your students where there was um one boy i think you said who was said i was feeling sad Mm -hmm. he said okay we're all gonna stop now and we're all gonna you know, be sad with him. Yeah. Right. And to me, the lesson there is service, right. which is also what you're talking about with this work with feng shui. Yeah. Service. And sure. So is that also an important step of kind of falling in love with service, with these opportunities to mm-hmm. put yourself away and just be in this house, in this situation with someone else and be of service to them? Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's such an intimate setting. I, I, I'm very humbled. I, there's, I mean, it's an honor to be invited into a stranger's home where they're suffering on some level. And I have been given the tools and the God-given intuition to navigate, hopefully, their way out of that suffering. And to give them the tools to, to do that themselves, it's powerful. And it's, it's a beautiful relationship. And I have... Um, most of my clients stay with me for a long, long time so that as the years go by and things happen in life, they can reach out and say, this is going on or that's going on. Can you help me with this or that? And I can be there for them. Um, Being of service for me means that I leave who I am at the door. Actually, in the car. As soon as I get out of the car, I'm on. I'm, I'm already taking in the trees, the layout of the land, um, you know, making sure that there isn't anything pointed at the house, that there isn't like a road coming at the house or um, a dead tree in the yard or, you know, all these kinds of things. I'm looking at all of it. And isn't that so much fun, too, when we le- when we put ourselves aside? It's oh, like, yeah. oh, this is great. Oh, yeah. I'm not inside my head anymore. I'm not mm. caring about myself. No, and what happens, I think, for me, I feel like when I walk into that space of someone's home, I um, 
you know, I'm very personal. It's like you've just brought a long lost sister home. You had no idea you had. Hey, here I am. Let's talk. And that helps people to feel at ease. It helps people to tell their story. We can sit on the couch and talk for a little bit and have coffee. And um, and I get to understand them. Because who am I to walk into your house and say this, 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 mm. right? I'm not doing that. I'm coming in and I want to understand who Avi is so that I can come into your home and say, ah, this is what we can do. And this is what you, I can see you need that will work for you. And then I recreate things. So, and that, and then I get excited for the transformation that I know that they're going to have in their life and in their home as a result. And, you know, going back to, you know, how does yoga translate or, you know, create this relationship with feng shui, another aspect beyond the ultimate goal of santosha, of feeling that contentment of, ah, I can come home and just relax and be at ease and everything's great or great enough, um, is brahmacharya, which is moderation, and salcha, which is cleanliness. And again, these are my boiled down essence of these ancient teachings. And recognizing that I've been in houses that have too many books. I've been in houses with too many plants. So many plants. Um, I've been in houses with too much of all kinds of things. Oh, one that's really not good is kids stuff. Everywhere you go in the house, there's kids stuff everywhere. Kids stuff belongs in one concentrated place. It also teaches the child that they are not the ruler of the house. Mm. Everybody has their place. Everybody has their room. Everybody has a place where their things belong, right? You wouldn't take your desk, the things on your desk and spread it all over the house, would you? No, you'd be thinking about work constantly, mm. <laughs> right? So, you know, all the things for the child are in one place. The same with photographs. You don't have photographs of your family all over the house. What are you going to feel consumed by? You're going to feel like you're constantly being judged. You're going to be feeling like you're constantly being seen by family and friends. All of these things have a place in your home. And when you get to the bedroom, the bedroom should have no pictures of anybody but you and your partner. And if you're single, then there's no pictures. No religious figures or anything. It is a sanctum, an intimate space. Where did you learn all of this? Oh, um, 2002, long time ago now. Um, Dr. Paul Yen in Falls Church, Virginia, he's semi-retired now. Um, I still email him client questions. I still get stumped. Mm. I still doubt myself. And then he'll like come back and I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, I knew that. It was somewhere in the back of my mm. filing cabinet memory. Um, so, yeah, so I did a, an online training with him. It was about nine months. And he, the way that he looked at it is that in order to understand a house, you have to understand the people. So for every house that I do, I also do their astrology charts. So that way I can see, because sometimes people don't match their house and I tell them they have to move. <laughs> That's not the happy one. Yeah. It's like, I've got bad news. I literally recently had a client 
I had her sit at her altar and meditate while I went through the house saging it. <laughs> went through the whole house. It was so bad. It's just one, one bad thing after the next. And I came upstairs, and she's sitting in front of her altar, and I stopped the singing bowl, and I very quietly stated, this house does not work for you. It's like that awful silence that follows. And she was like, thank you. Mm. Sometimes you just, and I gave her, her mother-in-law had recently like redone all the furniture downstairs. It was so oversized, big, massive furniture that just ate up the rooms, all the wrong colors, all the wrong materials. Oh, that was just the beginning. And at the end, I think she realized that instead of taking this workbook that I essentially had given her of things that she needed to do, she said, I think we need to look at getting a different house. So she arrived at that decision on her own. Hmm. And I and she said, and don't worry, if we move, I'll get I'll contact you. Because I help people find houses too. That can be really fun. Easier to to start the right way. <laughs> I love when people say, we just moved or we we just bought a house. I'm like, yes, hmm. it's so much easier. To go into an, uh, it's like, you know, it's almost like if somebody gives you a painting and says, I don't like this painting, fix it. Mm -hmm. Or show me how to fix it. It's very hard, right? Um, but if you have a blank canvas, yeah. yeah, that's the best. Nice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so the workshop at the end of the month really is about diving deeper into the concept of understanding the philosophy of yoga and the basic concepts of traditional five element um, feng shui and how to bring these concepts together in your own house so everybody would bring their floor plan and we would play with their floor plan so they, go, they can go home with applicable information that they can bring to their own life and to their own home. Um, and uh, sharing some of my client stories, I have so many, I could probably write a book. There's some really fun stories, crazy ones. That's what I was thinking the whole time we were talking about. This is a book. <laughs> yeah. Like I need another book. I've written four books, but I do like writing books. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the stories, and again, you know, you're in people's intimate spaces and you're seeing a lot of things. Um, and it's, a lot of it is, you know, they're healing stories. So many of them are healing stories of how yeah. your home can become sometimes unknowingly toxic and your health begins to decline and and you know, like somebody that had a sword that they were storing under their bed what could go wrong <laughs> and in that same bedroom this couple out running a storm was a picture on the wall it just keeps, you know, and it's like, what what else could there possibly be in this bedroom that would be attacking the people in the room? So, yeah, again, I think just the the obstacle is, is slowing down, right? Enough to see. Yes. So it's it, obvious. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, you come full circle to where you can say, if we can slow down and and approach that the life that we're living with greater mindfulness. And oh, the other aspect that I'm pulling in is also my awareness that Lotus here in Yogaville, um, that Sri Gurudev 
created it using feng shui principles. So um, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. Not entirely surprising knowing him, but um, or imagining knowing him, because <laughs> we didn't know him, but um, that everything if, you know, for anyone that's listening to this, watching this, that um, has visited Lotus, from the moment you leave the main road, the whole thing is a reflection of your spiritual journey. And so my thought was, as I was reading this and learning this, what would happen if your drive to your own home was a representation of your spiritual path. No road rage in there. No speeding down those little quiet neighborhood streets. No. Would you do that? No. If that was your the way to your temple or your church, and that when you arrived at your home, it was your temple or your church. Everyone in there, sacred, holy, so special with all their beautiful imperfections and flaws, just like you. And your whole home, everything meaningfully placed, lovingly placed, lovingly cared for, cleaned and kept. The outside of the home, the inside of the home, the people, the way that you eat, the food you put into your body. You see? It can be so much better, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that for me is, I think, answers your first question. Mm. <laughs> nice. Um, which brings us to maybe our last question mm. I'd like to ask. What's one way that you would like to improve personally? Ooh. Um, to be more trusting mm. of my own life, my own ability to... Um, Yeah, my own ability to support myself mm. with with the things that I do. You know, you know, reassuring myself everything's okay. I wish sometimes I could do that without getting to the point where I need to say it. <laughs> mm, just like a rock solid belief. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know that that's possible. Which is, you know, part of faith. Yeah, you know, you've got to, I feel like there's always got to be something we're polishing. Why not? Yeah. Well, it's just like the home, right? It's, it's just like ending. the home. It's never clean because mm -hmm. you're, you're always, you've always got more dishes to do and more mm -hmm. clothes to wash. And can that be okay? Right? And that is so okay. That is so okay. And, you know, I, um, sometimes doing the dishes can be its own meditation. Enjoy the soapy water. Yeah. Nitya, thank you so much. Really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, this is yeah. fun. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.